to pull up the outline real fast. There we go. All right, you ready? Yes, All right, three, two, one. Hello! What's up, everybody? Hold my bread. We're back at it. It's me, Matt Backus, your host, with the other host, Joel Wachowski. Joel, hello. Hello, listeners. Hello, you Robin Hood investors. Gather round. Let's join the gluten gang. It is time, check your watch, to carbo load. Welcome to Hold My Bread, the $1,601.09 podcast. I am Joel Walkowski coming to you from Wall Street West, i.e. my back porch in beautiful Sedona, Arizona, home of the coronavirus. How are you doing, Matt? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm having a pretty good day. It's been a good week. I spent the whole day yesterday at the pool. Uh, I took like I took like a bunch of edibles. I just took the whole day off. I checked out, so I feel revitalized today. I'm ready for a good episode. Yeah, that's me. I, I got my weed cart out here in Arizona, and there's a little bit too much bang for the buck out here. <laughs> you know, they have these dispensaries. I'm shopping around, and every time you go, you get a good deal. So I'm I got like a month's three months worth of weed for very cheap, which is not what this podcast was about. If you are listening, because I use this podcast in my grad school application to your business school, um, that was performance art. I've never done a drug. Uh, Hunter Thompson is a scourge of society. And I believe the only <laughs> buzz I need is the exhilaration of temperance. <laughs> did you know when uh, hunter s thompson when he died at his funeral they shot his ashes out of a cannon i did know that yes <laughs> isn't that wild that's what i want i want the i think that's cool as hell yeah and hunter thompson like he really like i i had a lot of hunter s thompson in my upbringing but not because of like the fear and loathing in las vegas fear and loathing on the campaign trail like hit later in life Hunter Thompson was one of the great sports writers of all time. Like, he had a column on ESPN's page two. They had Ralph Wiley, Bill Simmons at the time. And that was, like, the best thing the Internet's ever had. Um, what was the uh, – wasn't there a famous quote from him about the NFL? Um, well – About it being canceled or something? Well, all, well his last – his suicide note was called Football Season's Over. Yeah, which is pretty sick. And this guy, like for someone who defines their existence through their uh, relationship to sports, even though I'm a non-athlete, like reading Hunter Thompson's like old, old stories about bringing a cooler of beer into San Francisco 49ers games, him having dinner, sitting down with Nixon and them deciding to watch a football game. It's great stuff. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. So, well, um, do you want to? Uh, should we just jump into it? Where do you want to start out with? Uh, you got. I, I, you've been around some option trader, and it's it's rubbing off on you. I see. Well, I had a visitor here. I had a good friend of the show. I'm not going to name them, but if we're going to talk about bad influences. I think an options trader is probably worse to hang out with than someone who deals pills. Um, I invest to build a better life for me and my future family. In an options trader, like this guy was doing very well when he came up. He'd made $5,000 that morning. And all day I hear, I'm making 5000 tomorrow. 
the market's volatile. I'm saving up to buy a house. And the next day doesn't go so well. He loses the same 5,000 the next morning. And the thing that got me is that the goal was no longer to buy a house. Like losing $5,000 shouldn't change your long-term financial goal. Like we're out here playing these games, but there is a purpose in mind and that's long-term viability. If your goal is going to change, then your behaviors have no baseline. So like those options traders, they are a dangerous bunch. It's interesting. Yeah, that's wild. I didn't, uh, I didn't really think about it like that, but that's actually a great point. Um, so the $5,000 was that $5,000 down. Uh, have they left? Do you know what they left at? Were they up? Were they down? Were they even? They were up. They were up around 5k and they were playing hard today. So I think they'll be playing as this like bears out, but it's pretty risky though. I will, I will say they did talk me into a couple, couple options, some big plays. Uh, you bought some options for the first time. That's amazing. Big step. I'm not, I haven't bought them yet. I'm waiting for the next downturn in the market. So options, you buy them at certain places in time. And for right now, there's a, there's a lot of due dates that are January 18th. And I think of my two favorite stocks, Twitter and DraftKings. If I buy those with a January expiration, Twitter will be on the, on the heels of an election that it's sure to be a very big part of. DraftKings will hopefully have followed through on the, the busiest six-month stretch in American sports history. You'll have NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, Premier League soccer. Who knows? So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm figuring out the price targets, but my goal is to throw around $2,000 at the investment with the goal of paying for my second semester of grad school. And we're back. Of course, it would not be an episode of Hold My Bread without Matt Backus's internet crashing. Um, Can you tell your mom to stop playing World of Warcraft for 10 minutes, Matt? I don't know what it's going to take. One week, it was like my fault. Then we had a meeting with this PR guy we're going to use. My internet goes down. It turns out that the internet has gone out for like the entire state of Indiana and Illinois. I can't catch a break. Yeah, um, there there has been weird internet outages all over the Midwest. I'm guessing one farmer downloaded porn for the first time, crashed the whole system. Yeah, I think what happened was uh, they were trying to have sex with one of the cables, is uh, is what I heard. They, they hey, who doesn't watch Avatar and get a few ideas, you know? Sex yeah, with absolutely. cables, that's propaganda for that idea. <laughs> Um, well, so we were talking about options and I, I mean, I'm, I'm impressed. I have not done any options. I know we had a couple episodes about them. Um, I would imagine hitting on an option is gotta be on par with like winning a huge bet or, I mean, it's gotta be amazing. The high has got to be amazing. Yeah. You can really get kicked in the teeth though. So the moves I'm looking at, I'm looking at putting up around three grand for an unlimited yield. So I got to wait for the market to really take its next downturn because Twitter and DraftKings, they're doing pretty well. But the options, you know, the very, they skew so much, like a 1% change in the market is, is 20 times that in terms for, the, for options. Right. Uh, well, so you were saying what Twitter is one of them and uh, DraftKings, are those, the, those are the companies you're looking for options on? 
Yeah, I think so. I think they have a pretty good prognosis over the rest of the year. And I think if you get, I'm not going to do something crazy, but I, I think it's pretty reasonable for both of those to be kind of booned by all this activity around the world to make them good companies. I agree with that 100%. Um, we talked about this last episode about how Twitter had a huge increase in users and how even though Tesla has become the number one uh, car manufacturer in the world that... Uh, According Twitter to market had, cap, not sales at all. We'll, we'll right, clarify that. Of course, market cap, market cap. But They've still... They've never sold a car, um, Tesla. Um, Twitter's blowing up. Twitter is a good option to play right now. I I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, what um, what else is going on? Well, I'm going to need money because we are going to enter inflation mania. So we're all kind of kept home still, except for me. I'm in Arizona where we've decided the coronavirus doesn't exist, and. The Fed is printing so much money just to keep the stock market afloat. And since no one is out spending money yet, like printing money creates inflation. That's just fundamental economic theory. So as soon as jobs pick up, people can go spend again. You know, you'll just see inflation go like never before in our lifetime. Yeah, there's just a bubble building and building and building while we're all sitting at home. Um, and people are, I mean, people are making more money now in some cases being unemployed than they were when they were working their jobs. So there's going to be a huge influx of cash eventually, but I, that cash is going to be worth less once uh, the prices come up. I've been noticing things was, I was just talking to somebody, there's a pizza place here in town that for like a single pizza, it's like $30. If you want breadsticks, it's a huge upcharge. I mean, the upcharges are already, uh, are already happening. Um, to a to a degree so it's only going to get worse once things start to open up whenever that may be and you i'm, I'm going to throw this out there you can only test this through your own psychological experience but money's worth less when you don't work for it so you know i think a lot of people are getting nice unemployment they're they're coasting on that pua but because we don't really work for it like we're being a little riskier with it than we normally would and my corollary with that is like comedy any comedy money means so much more to me than any other money like $40 from comedy means about $400 from my job like I, that cash I will agree with be you in my wallet it will go towards a purpose like it just feels hallowed I agree 100% I agree 100% any money I've ever made in comedy um has felt like it's worth more. Absolutely. Um, and I'm being real. I mean, again, I, I, I've talked about this on the last couple of podcasts, but I, and I feel a little bit bad about it, but I've been, you know, giving my mom money. I've been buying stuff for my sister and I, I've been, you know, I'm not earning this unemployment. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm doing anything to earn this money. I'm, I'm betting, you know, <laughs> again, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this. I'm betting with it on DraftKings. I'm, you know, I, uh, as long as you're betting on DraftKings, it's cool. They are an unofficial sponsor of the show, and we might have some. Yeah, every every Saturday, scenes. you need me. Every Saturday, I'm watching UFC fights, uh, betting on the fights. It's been really fun. So, um, but it's yeah. you know, I wouldn't ever necessarily do, or I wouldn't be as loose with it if I were still, you know, living off of my comedy money and living off of um, the regular money. So I agree 100. percent 
Yeah, so people do have this kind um, of... What else we got going on here? Um, well, sweet. Pe- what is this sweet? I'm going to go into the next thing first. So, yeah, we're talking about people being risky with this money or money that they haven't earned. And as we've seen the stock market rebound from the depths of March and April in the past few weeks, this has not been a profit that's been shared in by large investors or hedge funds or Wall Street as a whole. Really, this has been kind of the Robin Hood revolution. More, more than 3 million accounts have been added this year, over 31 million total with an average age of 31. Pretty high. Do you think that's a high average age or, or are you surprised by that? No, I think it's just right. I think it's like that's 31 is the age where if you don't start thinking about your future now, you're fucked. You need to put it in action. It is still on the table for our generation not to get any social security. Yang 2024. But um, yeah, I, I think people have a lot of free time. People have an influx of money. And there's also a correlation pointed out by several economic people who study economics, that a lot of people are trying to get their Jones from betting on sports that they haven't had for most of quarantine. Yeah. I, well, and honestly, one of the things that I'm doing and one of my thoughts on betting on sports right now is the fact that I am in a position, thankfully, where I do have, thanks to unemployment and thanks to savings and thanks to, you know, whatever, I do have a little bit of money. So I feel like now is an opportunity for me to be a little bit more risky with it. And hopefully uh, when this all shakes out, I, I will have made a little bit of money in betting. I would have made, you know, that, that, that money um, that I was given, I would have turned that into a little bit more money. I feel like I'm being, it allows me to be proactive with the money I have. I feel at least that's what I'm trying to convince myself that I'm doing. Yeah. And Robin hood, this is like a huge underdog story because March 2nd was the day coronavirus shit hit the fan in terms of our economy. And that's the day that Robin Hood crashed. I know there are a lot of days, so we'll differentiate this because this is the Robin Hood crash that lasted an entire trading day. And so this single single day brought them multiple lawsuits. It derailed their IPO aspirations, but still three months later, They've come out on top of this. So what they did was they kind of created this for a long time. The underlying motivation behind Robinhood is average people aren't making money off the stock market. We are making the rich richer. It's not a too different of a hypothesis from the one behind Hold My Bread, the $1,601.09 podcast. Would you agree with that? I, why not? Why, what do I, what do I have to, I have nothing to debate you on that. Nothing to debate. And I'm looking into Robin hood and they did some pretty cool stuff when they started doing it. Like they rolled out the idea and it was three years before they released the app in like 2012, you could start a waiting list for early access to the app And your rank in line, it wasn't like a Tesla deposit or anything. You moved up in line if you referred others to the app. So by the time Robinhood was released in 2015, they had 1 million users, which is incredible. 
That is incredible. And they also, I mean, I've recommended people to the app. And if you do that, you get a free stock. And I mean, granted, the stocks I've been given have not been great. Um, but it's still, you know, a, f- a couple of free bucks here, a couple of free bucks there. So they do a pretty good job as far as incentives to get people to sign up. And I do think it is, you know, barrier to entry. People hear about stocks, investing, and years, I mean, before we started this podcast years ago, I, you know, you would have asked me and I would have had no idea really about stocks or investing or anything like that. It's, uh, it makes it very simple. It's, I don't know, it seems like it's a good, I'm not surprised at all by those numbers. I think, I think it, uh, it's a very approachable way for people to get involved. Yeah, and I think millennial-run companies had a certain advantages because they put their advertising equity into podcasts. In podcasts, they have the most loyal fan base of anybody. Like as comedians, what what can you? Podcast is the only way to generate like a self-sustaining career. Uh huh. So. You know, if you're listening to an ad for Robinhood on a podcast, you're probably hearing that ad every single week. So I know I'm a big ringer guy, both the T-shirts and the media outlets. <laughs> um, and yeah, I heard Robinhood ads every week for three years. And when it was time to pick individual stocks, like it was so fresh in my mind. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's uh, and I don't know. I don't know if I've ever really seen any advertising. Like I know myself, I don't know where I heard about Robin hood. I don't know if I heard about it on a podcast. I don't think I saw any ads on the subway. I know there were some subway ads. I remember seeing about investing apps and acorn and all that stuff. I don't have any experience with that, with those apps, but I really don't know where I heard about Robin hood. But um, I mean, I tried to sign up as soon as I could. Yeah. And there is something to like the business approach of, we're not going to convert anyone from Charles Schwab. We're going to activate a group of consumers that had previously sat out from the market. So they're really bringing passive people from the sidelines into the investing fray. Right. Absolutely. It's a lot of the Wall Street bets crowd also. I, I believe that Wall, it's, it's interesting how all of this has kind of culminated into a, an investing boom where a lot of people that normally wouldn't have are given the tools they need. You know, you have Robinhood, an app which makes it easy. You have Reddits that make people, you know, easier to get quote unquote information and facts, if you want to call them that. Um, it, it's all culminated into this one big thing where it's made it so much easier for people to invest and uh, to get involved. And I guess I'd be proactive with their money, especially at a time right now when it's very hard to be proactive with almost anything. And you're absolutely right, Matt. This is, they are taking advantage of certain things that are just out in the world we live in to let like young adults with money play in the market. But it, it is kind of the evolution of other brokerage disruptions. Like back in the 70s, like places that we view as like antiquated trading firms, like Charles Schwab, like there was some deregulation. They came in with cheaper commissions and you could trade cheaper. So Charles Schwab was this exact same thing in the 1970s. And then once we all got on the internet, the exact same thing happened as today. People started to get into day, day trading, e-trade with all the minimums. And now like everyone was given accessibility to being a broker. And this all sounds great. However, if you look at the charts from these past movements, you will see that there's an initial burst of success. There's good turnover, followed by a bubble bursting. 
that's what you think we think is going to happen soon, right? The, the Robin Hood bubble will soon burst. I mean, because people are making money now, maybe, but there is, I don't know. I mean, this is all going to peak. These, these users on Robin Hood, the, the market itself. I mean, I feel like it's a, it's a very big, it's a boom time right now for, uh, you know, obviously I don't know about other apps in this field, but Robin Hood itself, the user numbers are going up. That's, they're not going to go up forever. Yeah, and there's some pretty big people who went out against uh, the Robinhood revolution. Like Leon Cooperman says, the Robinhood markets are going to end in tears. And, you know, at this point, mom and pop investors, they're beating mutual funds. They're beating billionaires. But in every study done by University of California, they studied this exact trend over a six-year period and the more people trade the the more index funds beat them so only three percent of day traders actually turn a profit and less than one percent of people make more than minimum wage on their trading oh shit so that is the kind of thing where this is just like it almost, I mean, it's like what we said a little bit earlier, where the fact that if you're making the money yourself, even if it is a small amount, it feels like a lot because you feel like you've earned it. Uh, you know, on these, some of these bets I'm breaking even, or I'm barely making any money on, but because I like feel like I kind of made the right call or I did the right thing, $5 feels like $50. Yeah. And like Burton Melchior, he's a, he's, he wrote Random Walk Down Wall Street. He's Wealthfront, where I have most of my money invested. He's their chief investment op- officer. And he just kind of said, there's a lot of harm to our nation. There's a lot of harm to our economy. And people are just home, bored, and with no social activities. It's just kind of been like the movement of the market has been a self-fulfilling prophecy. There's been so much money coming in through these smaller traders. They all like the same stocks that they get the tips from off Reddit and Twitter. So of course it's going to go up. We've seen this same trend come from Wall Street bets for almost a year. So it makes a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. Uh, I wish I could think of some of the stocks we saw that was, what was it, MU and uh, Shopify. And there were so many, so many stocks. I remember seeing uh, people just talking about on Wall Street bets of just buy, buy, buy. Uh, and it's just like a pump and dump sort of thing where it's like you get these people to, you know, you, you float the idea out there on a Reddit somewhere or you float some, the idea on Twitter and it gain, gains traction and then all these people buy it, it drives it up, you take it out and then everyone else is left holding the, uh, holding the bag, so to speak. So it doesn't surprise me at all. It is an interesting tactic. I think it's been going on for a long time. I just think given the, um, not the, not the permeance, I can't think of the word, but given the situation in the, in the world we're living in, I think it's easier and it's given regular people kind of the ability to do these, these kind of pump and dump schemes a little bit. Yeah. But also you're a big Tesla proponent. Tesla has very similar roots in terms of being a Vogue stock. Like the difference with Tesla is that Tesla has boomer appeal because boomers have been paying for gas their whole lives. They love to talk pragmatic expenses. So It's an easy to grasp concept for both, you know, young forward thinking investors, or it kind of sounds like a good product to people who think more traditionally about stock trading. 
Right. And it's interesting too about, I mean, not to talk about Tesla too much, but it is interesting when I was in LA a couple months ago, um, you know, I saw Teslas everywhere and I would kind of point them out to people and people were talking about how in LA, uh, a Tesla is what a BMW used to be uh, in that if you want to, if you're anybody, if you're rich or if you're successful, you own a Tesla. Um, back, I guess, however long ago it was, if you were anybody who was successful, you owned a BMW. The Tesla is becoming uh, the, it's, a, it's becoming a symbol. It's becoming a status symbol for sure. Um, yeah, so. if, they re, if they rebooted American Psycho, there is a 100% chance that Patrick Bateman will be driving a Tesla. Hey, I like, that's a funny idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, they should reboot drive, uh, American Psycho, make, it a, make the lead a woman. Oh, they did that with the sequel, American Psycho 2. It was played by Mila Kunis and I didn't see it. Oh, I didn't see it either. I didn't know that was, I didn't, I didn't even hear, I, I've never even heard about that till just now. That's wild. Yeah, the only way you could get me to watch American Psycho 2 is if you told me, hey, they didn't change the script at all. <laughs> yeah, it's the same movie. It's just uh, the same movie. That's funny. Um, interesting. Well, yeah, so I, I don't know how much longer Robin Hood is going to be on, on top, but uh, as of now, they're really thriving. And I think, it again, it has to do with all the contributing factors of Reddit and the coronavirus and all this stuff and a lack of sports. You said it perfectly, a lack of sports and sports betting, less sports betting, I think has given people, you know, bet on something that you can do a little research on bet on uh, whether or not you think, you know, a stock is going to go up. I think it's a huge thing right now. Yeah. And there, you know, people won't see the yields on Robin hood and I encourage people to use Robin hood, but still, have your financial goal in mind. What is the long term? What do you want out of life? Ha do Robinhood as a place to put side bets. Don't make or break your future off your individual decisions. You will not beat an index fund. Even if you're trading options at five in the morning, even if you're reading the Wall Street Journal, you can't beat Vanguard. You can't beat ETFs. It's just not going to happen unless you're Superman. I'm a believer in uh, slow and steady. Uh, I mean, it's taken me years to get my, I'm my, my personal portfolio is not anywhere where I would like it to be. I do have a goal in mind and I'm not even close to that goal, but I have built slowly. Um, I think that's how I like to, you know, to do on uh, these sports bets. I'm, I'm not making huge sports bets. I'm building slowly. Uh, at least that's just how I do it. That's what's worked for me. And I think that's the way to go as far as the markets have been, at least as of late. So 2020 right. American Psycho, Patrick Bateman shoves a cat into a Bitcoin ATM. How are <laughs> we? <laughs> um, what else do we have going on here? This, is, this has been a great episode. I mean, I'm, we're, like, we're cooking. We're flowing right now. Yeah, we got, our, we got our bad internet out of the way nice and early. So, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be smooth sailing. Oh, here's what I said. We're talking about shit hitting the fan. Um, a lot of major analysts led by Henry Allen, um, they said that there is a one in three chance that at least four major risks will incur, will occur within the next decade, either a major pandemic of the flu killing more than 2 million people, a catastrophic volcanic eruption, a major solar flare or a global war for, so for perspective, coronavirus has killed about a half million people worldwide. And if we take that time frame to be two decades, 
there is a 56% chance of one of these occurring. How do you, what do you think, Matt? Are we doomed? Well, I mean, look, you were listing those things off and a lot of them are either happening or kind of happening or close to happening. Um, I mean, you look at, like you just said, you've got coronavirus, uh, you've got India and China are killing each other currently. That's close to World War III, if you, know, if you ask me. I'm obviously not an expert, but that is right there with a global war. Uh, eruptions, there have been earthquakes in what was it? Yellowstone. There was a huge earthquake recently in Yellowstone. I mean, we're not too far off from a lot of these things um, from what I've heard. The only one of these possibilities I'm not worried about is a solar flare. And that's only because I don't know what a solar flare is. That's exactly true. I couldn't tell you. All I know is that when I hear solar flare, people always say it's going to knock out the grid. And I don't know what the grid is, but I think it's pretty important. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything we can prevent anything that can be done to prevent a solar flare. I'm not going to stress too much about it. There are current events that are closer to us than a solar flare, I think. But again, solar I don't flare, know. solar flare. You telling me that the economy is going to be disrupted by vintage space genes? I don't think so, Sonny. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Solar flare. It, it's It's cooler. I mean, that's a cool name for something. Yeah, dude, that that's my punk band. We 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 actually only do Sonic Youth covers. Uh, my punk band is uh, Sharp Farts. We're a, we're a hard we're a, hard punk, a punk band called Sharp Farts. So, um, <laughs> we we will you kill time for thirty seconds while I run and pee behind the house? Yes, absolutely. Um, are you going to keep this in? It'll be your peeing behind the house. Don't get bit by a scorpion. Joel is in Sedona, Arizona. Um, I am in Indiana still, and. Um, I've never been out to uh, Arizona, but I would love to go. I love, uh, this is what I did yesterday, actually. I'll tell you what I did yesterday, what I've done yesterday. Yesterday, I took about, I woke up, I had my coffee. Um, I took about two and a half edibles. Uh, I floated in a pool, got a nice brown coat on me, uh, feel good. And uh, I, I floated in the pool. I listened to a podcast. Um, it's crazy, though, because I feel a little bit bad because I really took the day off of taking the day off. I mean, I can't work that hard in, in pandemic anyway, but I didn't think about the podcast. I didn't check my portfolio yesterday. Uh, I really let myself just, just go, um, go yesterday. And it wasn't, uh, it was nice. So it's nice to know that even during a pandemic, I can still find a way to really relax and let go. Um, I'm back, baby. And like and perfect I, timing. I haven't seen a scorpion in two months in Arizona. I did have, um, well, I had a visitor, and the same visitor, he kind of cheated me in a game of Settlers of Catan, uh-huh. and I sent him to bed. So I asked, if I do this trade with you, will you win? And he said no, and I did the trade with him, and he won. So I sent him to bed, and the next morning, he came up to me. He's like, hey, I found a family of black widows in your bathroom, and then he asked for toothpaste, and... I said, no, he couldn't have any toothpaste. I told him he needed to brush his teeth with the Black Widows. Uh-huh. So last night I'm chilling at the house and I had to take down a whole family of Black Widows. And I know they could kill me. I know they're dangerous. But just the fact that I killed a family of something, even though they're arachnids, I felt guilty the rest of the night. How did you kill them? I hit them with a shoe. Oh, man. I would have gotten... You got to blowtorch those fuckers. I, I would have... 
lit them on fire or something. That's terrifying. I'm not really afraid of spiders, but that that is scary. Brown recluse are scary. And when I was in South Dakota, I found a tick on me, and I'm terrified of ticks now. Ticks are so scary to me. Yeah, black widows, they creep me out because, A, they can kill you, and, B, I had them in front of my house when I lived in Los Angeles. They were, they were always having nets attached to these yucca plants. So what I would do is I would throw my gum into their nets, and I would watch them pounce on the gum in the blink of an eye. Very scary arachnids right there. I had to take them out. But hey, I feel bad about it. I'm sorry I killed you. I'm sorry I didn't have sex with you before killing you. I know that's not how you like things to go. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw that on your Instagram story. That was very scary uh, in, in the bathtub. Nonetheless, that's the, the worst spot to uh, encounter any type of bug or anything, uh, I think. I think when you're, I'm most vulnerable when I'm nude and I'm all wet in the shower. I would hate to have to fight a spider or, I mean, that's why whenever like you see a cockroach, we had, we at my apartment in New York, we get cockroaches in the bathroom every once in a while. And it was always when I was in the shower, all wet and it was terrifying. Yeah. And it's just like, I hate doing it, but if you have the capacity to kill me or my dog or my wife, I'm not going to let you be in my house. I would do it with a drifter. I would do it with a blackwood. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, All right, well, sorry to, to derail. I'm just going to, yeah, it's a good finance podcast. This week I piss and talk about Black Widows. Yeah, well, you know, that's what separates us from the stuffy, uh, from the stuffy uh, finance podcast. We take a break, we pee outside, we, you know, we talk about killing bugs. We're, uh, we're not like the typical ones. Well, I, 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 will, I just want to say, Matt, I don't mean to correct you. I respect your views, but it's pretty short-sighted to call black widows bugs i took great care to refer to them as arachnids and i'd appreciate if you took the same care yeah i mean it's a bug i don't care it's a rack a spider is a bug if you're an in, it's an insect right what's the difference between an insect and an arachnid yeah but that's the equivalent to misgendering a trans person you know a spider isn't a bug and here you are selfishly needlessly referring to it as such i know i killed the black widows but i think you treated their community worse yeah i don't i don't respect them so i disrespect the arachnids their bugs if you if you got bug eyes and you got bug limbs and you got a bug body you're a bug i don't care i don't care how you identify if you're a bug trans people i support trans black trans lives matter i 100% stand by that but if you are a spider in my eyes you're a bug and i will step on you if you're a spider yeah, hey, I'm not saying it's the same thing. I'm just drawing parallels here, baby. We're making a rhombus. Fuck bugs. No way. I felt bad. I said a rosary. Okay, let's move on. Target. You had some good news about them. Yeah, so we talked about uh, Target like last week um, on the last episode because we feel they, they did a good job. Everyone was talking about how you know, the, the protests got violent and, and Target was destroyed and all these boomers came out and they were like, I can't believe they would do this. And Target came out and said, we have insurance. Don't worry about us. We're going to be fine. Um, which we thought was amazing. But then they came out, uh, what was this a couple days ago, if not today. Um, and, uh, they're going to raise their minimum wage, which again, you know, these are things that should have been done a long time ago and, and all that, but this is good to see. Um, all of Target's hourly employees are going to make $15 an hour starting July 5th. Uh, employees will also receive a one-time bonus of $200 uh, to recognize their work during the coronavirus pandemic, which is a nice gesture. Um, 
And they were going to do this anyway, but they actually moved it forward and included a bonus. And this is a pretty big investment because they have like almost 2,000 stores, which means they're almost 400,000 employees. Uh huh. So and this applies to uh, employees at Target and at their distribution centers, which I think is huge. It covers, I mean, like you said, that is a lot of people. And then not only that, but like money's one thing, but they're also taking care of their employees. They have free backup care for children or needy adults through August. They have free mental health counseling. Jeff Bezos, my sister works at Whole Foods. Please do that. And they also have 30 day paid leave for employees at higher risk of COVID-19. Jeff Bezos, again, my sister's a Whole Foods employee in Detroit. Why is this not available? Why take your cues from Target? This is awesome. And last week we talked about all the fucking terrible things that Walmart has accomplished by being a part of the Alec lobby. Mm-hmm. Basically, they paid for stand your ground, three strikes and out. Every terrible thing that's kind of like wrecked the black community has come from Walmart lobbyists. So if we vote with our dollars now more than ever, go to Target. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so weird to be that, uh, I don't know, it's so strange to really support any big company like this, but uh, I think it's great. You know, they're they're giving that raise, 275,000 of its employees are going to get a raise. They're doing all these things that nobody is doing, that the companies, like you said, Bezos, I mean, they have every, they have so much money, they could do this if they wanted to, and they're just choosing not to. They're just raising, uh, they're just running bullshit commercials uh, to, to tug on your heartstrings and target. I haven't seen one target commercial uh, and they're doing all this good. So I'm happy we can actually have some good news on this podcast and spread the word that yeah, uh, like, target deserves your money. Yeah. Target with nothing forcing their hand, they are spending 1 billion more on their employee related expenses than last year, expanded pay leave bonuses to those who work throughout the virus and they even have a charity for workers with unexpected financial hardships. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Happy to, uh, like I said, happy to have some good news to report and happy to support Target. They are and doing, Target's not uh, doing great right now. They're, they're actually, they're taking strides. They are taking their lead from the community of Minneapolis, which they are a huge part of. So honestly, you love to see it. Fuck yeah, yeah. Target. Yeah, their margins are super thin. I mean, they're like not doing, I mean, they're not doing exceedingly well, obviously, during all this. So the fact that they're doing this uh, in a time where they themselves are somewhat struggling is huge. I mean, that that to me adds even more to it, the fact that they're willing to do that because, you know, these big companies, they give a huge shit about their margins. They give a huge shit about profits. And so the fact that they're willing to do this even through all this uncertainty is incredible. Uh, What else do we have here? Our next story, Netflix CEO builds a luxury teacher training camp in Colorado. Beautiful Colorado. We love Colorado. At least I love Colorado. Uh, It's it's amazing. Um, Yeah, Reed Hastings. I didn't know anything about this guy until I read this story. Um, But he did this somewhat secretly. $20 million luxury training camp for teachers in Colorado. Now, um, he's going to spend $100 million of his own uh, money. Now he is a billionaire. He is a $4.8 billion fortune. So a hundred million is a drop in the bucket, but yeah, still. he's going to dedicate half a season of house of cards to the teachers. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you're going to hear that ring knocking on the table. It's going to be great. Um, yeah, he is, it, uh, no, go ahead. It's, I mean, it's not 
a new move for a billionaire to get involved in trying to reform education. Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg have similar plays right now. But, you know, this seems a little interesting and it's just going to host like 30 groups of 30 for four day retreats. And honestly, seems pretty whatever to me. Yeah, I mean, I just thought it was kind of a nice story. I don't know which, uh, I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know what it's going to, you know, if it's going to be that earth shattering, whatever. But uh, I don't know. It just seems, I just thought it was a nice thing to pull. And I didn't know much about, like I said, I didn't know anything about this guy before this. So I just thought it would kind of be interesting to get his name out there a little bit. It is, but he also has a history of backing charter schools. And if you know anyone in education, you'll know how problematic charter schools are like, My mom was a special education teacher for her entire life. And I can't even mention charters without her going off on testing, state funding. And like, this is a nice thing, but it kind of comes from the arm of privatization. And it's telling in this article that this would be available to both teachers from public schools and charter schools. Interesting. Well, yeah, and you know, I mean, public school teachers don't make a lot of money. So good luck to those public school teachers getting out to Colorado to go to that, uh, to go to these seminars. Yeah, no, um, Reed's background is he uh, he co-authored a 1998 initiative to make it easier to start charter schools in California. And he served on the California Board of Education for four years. So there's definitely like some interest that he will be serving. 100%. 100%. I mean, and he is a billionaire. So it's like, he's definitely not a good guy. Um, but this does seem like it has potential to be a positive thing. So I don't know, just a story I thought was interesting and worth highlighting and maybe uh, reading up on in a couple months to see how and and what's going on there. So uh, it, I thought it was interesting too, in the article, uh, 2008 interview, I had a bunch of money and I didn't really want to buy yachts. Hastings told the Wall Street Journal in 2008, I started looking at education, trying to figure out why our education is lagging when our technology is increasing at great rates and there's great innovation in so many areas. Uh, I thought that was interesting um, because that is a good point. I mean, honestly, it's like technology has gotten is better than it is now uh, than it's ever been. And I feel like education is, you know, I don't know if it's lagging or not. I'm not involved in education. Obviously I've been out of school for a long time, so I don't know, but um, it's, thought that was interesting yeah i mean if, if it if it's a spa for teachers great if they're gonna try and advance an agenda i think there's some problematic natures that need to be addressed with this otherwise altruistic gesture okay uh, what else okay so the bumblebee ceo he's going he's caught in the net for three years for price fixing Bumblebee tuna, bumblebee tuna, my God. I don't even, do you like tuna? I don't like tuna at all. I'll be honest. Yeah, tuna's all right. It doesn't do much for me. I will say this is an interesting news story to me because the CEO of this tuna company looks exactly what you would expect the CEO of a tuna company to look like. Absolutely. That was my first thought. Uh, Christopher Lishwecki. How do you say that name? Lishwecki. Lashuski. Lashuski. Oh, man, even better. Lashuski yeah, sounds like something you would name a pet tuna. Yeah, you hate to see a great Polish-American go down. We've seen Krasinski go down. We've seen Lashuski go down. 
And, you know, you're going to have that when you do a price fixing scheme that affects $600 million of canned tuna sales. Yeah, so I guess from 2010 to 2013 is when this was going on. Uh, I love that. I love a conspiracy. I love a conspiracy surrounded by uh, or built around such a silly thing. Uh, you know, I mean, just a just a huge conspiracy uh, linked to a fish. And I'm going to run an exercise right now. I'm going to address the New York Post's reporting. So the New York Post they did a great article doing this, and the article was. 300 words wrong, long. Um, how many puns do you think were in that 300 word article? Uh, uh, as many as they could fit. I'm gonna, uh, I didn't count them when I was reading, but it's, uh, it's too many. I'll say too many. Yeah, 11 puns in a 300 word article. They pronounced, they spelled guilty, G-I-L-L-T-Y. Why are newspapers dying in America? This is why they read like frickin' Gary Goldman bits. Uh, yeah, Onion articles don't even have that many. I mean, <laughs> Onion articles are written better than these. Yeah, because comedians know you can't do puns. And I'm sorry I, com- I said puns were a Gary Goldman thing. Truth be told, he's the most anti-pun comic. And that's why I related him with puns. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, the Fishman, uh, three years in jail. Uh, over all this, I can't imagine when he gets to his white collar prison, which he'll no doubt attend. Um, he'll probably get. Do you think they serve tuna in prison? I bet they do. They must serve so much tuna in prison. And you know what? I gotta say, I'm sorry. I think this is a good crime here. Oh uh, yeah, what do you say that tuna is the cheapest thing in the grocery store? It's the absolute lowest rung protein you can get this side of peanut butter. I I wouldn't expect anyone to ever examine the price of tuna fish. I would commit this same crime. Well, it's interesting because um, there, I think this is a very common thing in the seafood industry, or at least in this industry, uh, because it says in the article, Bumblebee, which they filed for bankruptcy, they were uh, ordered to pay $25 million fines. uh, And then September, Starkiss, which I think is is a different seafood company, was sentenced to pay a um, hundred million dollar fines. Chicken of the Sea executive blew the whistle on the scheme in 2015, and uh, investigators agreed to shield the company from criminal prosecution in exchange for their cooperation. So the the world of of canned tuna and canned seafood is choppy seas, if you know what I'm saying. And just hearing the retelling, you can tell that Chicken of the Sea is the one one company that was it was actually playing by the rules. Starkist, Bumblebee, that's what price fixing is. You're setting a market price with seafood. And if you're in communication about trying to set it, that can be in both your best interests. But, you know, Chicken of the Sea has something to say. Making national headlines for the first time since Jessica Simpson put her ignorance on display for all of us on MTV. That's right. Well, so if you're a chicken, if you're a if you're a tuna eater, if you like uh, the tuna, support Chicken of the Sea. If you uh, if you like a narc, if you don't, uh, you know, Bumblebee Tuna and Starkists, they need your money now more than ever. So make your decision. Vote with your dollar. Uh, again, you know, <laughs> enjoy your time in prison. He looks like a tuna. Look him up, by the way. Look look up the man. He looks like he is a tuna. It, it might be a man. It's a tuna pretending to be a man. Yeah, no, literally, since tuna is so cheap, you're literally voting with your dollar. Yeah, exactly. That, that, this, that sense has never been more true. 
Um, yeah, what else spring- do you want to cover? What did the Carnival Cruise Line? Um, I hope that Carnival Cruise goes bankrupt. I believe that cruise ships kind of are bringing the wealthy population into a reality that's similar to that of the people from Wally. So I would love to see cruise ships obliterated. I agree with you 100%. I think cruise ships are evil. I think they are bad. For, they're just the worst thing for the environment. Um, I've never been on a cruise myself, but I've seen the people that go on them. I cannot tell you uh, how much I disagree with cruises and how I think that they are they deserve to be sunk. Uh, I think the I think they deserve to be bankrupt. Hold on, hold on. What's that? Congratulations, Matt. You were just hired by the New York Post. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm after. One. That's one pun in. Uh, that's all I needed. Four point four billion though when they reported um, for quarterly uh, earnings. I thought that was uh, shocking, but not shocking at the same time. I mean, no one's going on cruises. Um, so, but that well, is a huge. People are buying cruises, like. The same people who aren't forward-thinking enough to buy stocks in Robinhood, they're buying cruises for 2021. The sales are there for all these cruise ships, so they're going to get out on the other side of this. Maybe, if they can survive long enough. I don't know when this is all going to reopen, but um, revenue plummeted 85%. Uh, they missed estimates by about 70, $738 million. So the cruise industry is struggling. I don't know... The people that are going to go and rush back on these cruises are not the people that you want to be surrounded by. So uh, hopefully, you know, common sense will prevail and people will pull out from all this. But I mean, you know, these are the people that go to Walmart and they don't wear masks and um, they like to, uh, you know, I don't know, eat tuna off their sister's asses. You know what I mean? Hey, hey, hey. What if you just (laughs) don't want to do the dishes, huh? (laughs) I've said it once. I've said it before. My lifelong goal is to never go on a cruise. My, my, my girl, my old lady, she wants me to go. Never. Uh, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, no. I love to be in the ocean. I love to be at sea. I would love to ride on a jet ski, but I don't think I would enjoy going on a cruise. It's interesting to think about, too, though, because you have, you know, there's so much money floating around on cruises, and I don't just mean the passengers. I mean, you've got the staff. You've got the people that uh, are there to entertain. You've got um, the people that are running activities. Uh, it's so interesting to think about what that really means because you hear 4.4 billion in losses and you think, where does that come from? Um, and it's, it's, it's just, like I said, all these people, all the comedians that would run, uh, you know, we have a good friend of ours that would make, he made a lot of his money doing cruises. He would be on, you know, a different cruise every week and he was making good money doing it. And uh, I don't know if he's going to go back to doing that or not. Yeah, who knows? If it does, he's a good comic, so I'm sure he'll get plenty of work. Um, anything we want to talk about before we get out of here? I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, we have a couple other stories. I don't know if you just we can skip them, or uh, I don't, it doesn't really doesn't really matter to me. If you want to end, uh, I'm not um, sure how much how how long we've been recording, but this has been a great episode, so I would be content with wrapping up. I think. Okay, let's do two quick ones. Hurt stock. We talked about how Robinhood traders were manipulating the marketplace. Hertz is a poster child for that, despite their bankruptcy, which we went over three weeks ago and why they don't deserve to be bankrupt. Their stock was skyrocketing for no real reason, and a trading halt was put on it. And that's just because they're filing bankruptcy and people don't know how the debt will be structured. Right. 825% increase. 
uh, after they uh, after they filed for bankruptcy. After filing, they their their stock surged eight hundred twenty five percent. That is crazy. Yeah, and also very quietly, um, the Trump administration made four hundred one ks a lot riskier. Four hundred one ks, you're now allowed to trade them with private equity. Private equity is one of the more evil financial tour, tools around. Um, if anyone's really interested, you can do a deep dive on Sean McCarthy's podcast. He was a past guest. So, yeah, being able to go private equity with your 401k is incredibly risky. All of these big trading houses are not addressing it whatsoever. So that's something everyone can keep an eye on. Right. Um, prior to the bankruptcy filing, there were about 43,000 Robinhood accounts that own shares of Hertz. That number has nearly doubled to about 73,000. Jesus Christ. Well, we're all doing the same things. We're all getting our info from the same places. And you know what? I guess we're going to make money together because of it. That's the world we live in. Um, I don't have a stock pick this week, mostly because I'm just still thinking about those big options trades. So I'll, I'll keep you guys updated with that. Uh, I don't either. I do. I would like to maybe retract my one of my picks from last week. Um, I picked IBIO, which I still think might be a good play. But Moderna, Moderna came out and they they posted this big thing about how they're going to have a vaccine by well, I can't remember the exact date, but 2021, sometime in 2021. I don't trust any pharmaceutical company that comes out and is like, this is when we're going to have it. It seemed very skeptical. Uh, it seemed very shady to me. So Moderna, I mean, again, as always, if we recommend a stock, you need to do your own research. This is not a podcast where you should just follow our word blindly, but well, Moderna we'll is it out with you. If you, if you want to go over details, hit the DMs. I will yes. always go over it. Yeah, absolutely. Email us or slide into our DMs on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. So I don't have a stock, rec stock recommendation, but I do recommend maybe looking into Moderna a little bit closer if you hadn't, because I did recommend looking into them last week. And uh, I'm a little less um, enthusiastic as I was last week, and I think it, it, it deserves a, a look at. So that's my only stock recommendation. Cool. Well, I'm Joe Walkowski. I'm Joe Walkowski on Instagram, The Walkowski on Twitter. And we're at Hold My Bread just about everywhere. That's right. I'm Matt Backus. Matt Backus sucks on Instagram. Matt Backus on Twitter. Um, get on Twitter. Buy Twitter stock. Twitter's huge. There's a lot of good content on Twitter these days. A lot of, a lot of Twitter beefs. A lot of hot news breaking on Twitter. Get on Twitter. Take part. Enjoy. Uh, rate our podcast. Our podcast has like 43 five-star reviews. Uh, and we appreciate that. That's very helpful for us. So keep, uh, keep sharing. Uh, rate our podcast. Uh, we appreciate you. Um, I think that's it. So thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your week. Later, guys. Be well and make some money and friends.